Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. Bryn has uh, welcomed her a, son. A new partner in crime <laughs> for Bryn. Yes. Now, here's here's the thing. The, this might be coming out later. Oh, yeah. So we may, we may introduce her son, Jack. Multiple <laughs> <Yeah>. times. <laughs> Multiple times. Anyway... Um, this this episode, you know, we've we've been posting episodes uh, about politics, right? And we're talking a little bit more about that. Uh, and the subject of church politics came up, and we're like, right. you know what? I, that is a that is a serious thing that I think is worth mentioning because that is probably a point of uh, deconstruction for oh, people, sure. if not, can just really be a point of frustration and difficulty because it's people. Didn't we, um, didn't we have John Redfern on an episode mm-hmm. in the past and he talked about how it did the big attack on his faith, the big dent in his faith armor at one point was the way his father, a pastor was treated by mm-hmm. other leaders in the church. Yes. And I've got to think the, you know, as one, one guy says, he never wants to be on church leadership because he doesn't know, want to know how the sausage is made. Right. Like I, I just right. don't want to see it. Right. Um, and his assumption is it's ugly. Yeah. And it probably often oh, is. That makes sense. So, do, Chris, do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah. And kind of, and how this conversation kind of came to be? Because I think that's it's cool to know. It will be cool. And so we're introducing today Mr. Sherrod. Hey. But not Chris Sherrod. <laughs> um, Chris Sherrod, who, as we have said many times, abandoned us <laughs> like like we were nothing. He just, like a like an old Kleenex. Um, oh, All man. kidding. Um, uh, so the, uh, he, he, you know, went on to... Uh, to other things, better places, yeah, <laughs> bigger and better. Which is that's the, I, I was trying not to say that again because yeah, we made yeah, that a like, joke, um, right. But this is his son, Jordan. Uh, I guess he should he should be better known as my student. There you go, because he was <laughs> right. a student in my government class, yep. my first one ever. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, yeah, I'm sure it was bad. But, well, the, it was but this a, is good. Now we're coming full circle. <laughs> full circle. That's, right. Full that's circle. right. Here we are. The, now the student Josh has become the master. Jordan didn't comment at all. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I was in that class. I was. <laughs> that's true. I, that I, can, true. I can confirm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was present. Um, um, okay. But, and he had a question. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's <clears throat> what, what brought the question up? Yeah. What's, got, what's going on here? Right. So I'm studying 1 Timothy 3, okay. um, which is uh, all about church leadership, right? It's all about... The structure of the church, um, both in the what some call elders or the overseers, right. right, and then the deacons, right, and kind of those two groups of leaders, um, and and how that's formatted. And so I I really um, I really would love to just learn more about that, and even how at South Spring, you know, that's formatted. Because every church, you know, is going to do it differently and and is going to interpret yes. this in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what I would really love to know, one is kind of uh, big picture, like you know, what is the the purpose of church leaders? Like, why do we need to have this established kind of way, you know, in the church? Um, and then 
it, yeah, like why, and then also why is, how does South Spring do that? You know, how do we interpret right. that? So why is it important, first of all, for churches in general to have this kind of structure? Yeah. Um, and then also how does South Spring kind of, you know, read from scripture and apply that? Right. And then it might be good to hear Colson from you or, uh, or Bryn as well, like mm-hmm. why this topic would be a reconstructed mm-hmm. faith topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know, Bryn, you got a thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, well, my first question is like, can we clarify, how do we define, uh, church politics? Did you just say that? Question. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. My, my, my caveat is I just had a child. So if I say <laughs> anything that sounds absent-minded, that's my, my, I'll just edit it to sound really yeah. smart. That's right. yeah. Um, but can we, if you can, if we can clarify that, I think that'll help um, us figure out what our next questions are. Cause the, a lot of times when I hear it discussed church politics is in the negative. Right. <laughs> I would say is, the vast is it, majority. Yeah, is it like an unofficial thing of like by church politics, we just mean like the, the behind the scenes workings of what goes on and like the red tape and the, the gossip, like whatever it includes, is that how we would define, um, that's a great question. So I wouldn't want to po- define it in a way that's automatically negative because mm-hmm. um, yeah. politics is just, you know, how a group of people are led. Mm-hmm. And that's really all that politics means is how a group of people are led. Mm-hmm. And a polis, meaning a, a city, like a metropolis. Um, and so, um, and then how a group of people like that, how do you lead them? And how? what are the rules? What are the standards? And uh, and so it, it's it can be... As because, as we've said many times, it involves humans. Therefore, anything that involves humans can be, you know, horribly gross and and ugly. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also, I think, most people would think of politics. I think my knee jerk reaction is to think of politics as a necessary thing, mm-hmm. um, maybe a necessary evil, but certainly a necessary thing. I mean, people people have to have guidelines and rules, and if you're going to have mm-hmm. a community, if you're going to have a culture. Um, you're going to need that if, if you're going to mm-hmm. have a, you know, some, a society has to have rules and ways that it's going to enforce those rules and decide what those rules are and, and all that kind of stuff. And so any community is going to have that, whether it's written or, or assumed or understood or not, not understood. And um, even arguing the early church. Yes. That, I mean. That. Oh yeah. The, the early the church. Negative. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. That, I mean, that's helpful. I think like, it, I think it's like anything that we've talked about. Um, I think, and like you referred to um, John Redfern's experience, I think a lot of our experience with church leadership has been, has been negative, which is why we not specifically at South Spring, but just in the church in general. Um, and it is easy to blur the lines of church leadership um, that is, just like broken individuals trying to lead, um, in a godly way and then blending it with the way that Christians have led in sinful ways and ways that are primarily about politics and red tape and their agenda instead of actually leading the church. Well, and I, that's when I think of politics, church politics, that's kind of why it seems messy to me because we are broken individuals and the way that that has played out that a lot of us have seen has been, really messy and has become personal agendas that then become portrayed as like the church's agenda or the Lord's agenda. And, um, and that kind of overlaps with what we've been talking about with politics of like, 
okay, this is, um, there has to be a differentiation, I think, uh, between that, because otherwise, if it's my agenda and my plan that I'm then, because I'm in leadership, I'm saying is like the Lord's plan for the church, like that can be really messy really quickly. Oh, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I would bet if we were, if we somehow could do this whole, we're going to survey everyone in the mm-hmm. world who's deconstructed their faith. Mm-hmm. I'll bet the ones who started in church, I'll bet something ugly happening in the church is a super common theme. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody yeah. being mistreated in the church, especially by church quote leadership. And mm-hmm. so um, I think this is a really valid topic for us to dive mm-hmm. into is the question of what is the so we, we've talked about politics and the church, mm-hmm. meaning what is the role of the church in national politics or state mm-hmm. politics or local politics? Um, now we're talking about the politics that are supposed to be mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. We do need, how, how is this done? What are, yeah. how are decisions made? Who is in charge and how are they in charge? Mm-hmm. And, and how does, how do different churches engage with that and, and seeing that and done that, badly? And that's what I'm, I'm excited to hear is like, okay, how do kind of churches that you're aware of, how how are different ways that people address it? And then kind of like South Spring almost as a case study yeah. of like, this is how we do it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah be fun. that's a good point, Colson, because I think, I think part of the difficulty of this is like, there is a lot of like reading scripture and praying for wisdom and then making decisions for your specific church. And I think the freedom that comes with that is, um, you know, is can be open for critique and um obviously mistakes and so like what is what is even what do we feel like is biblical and what is decisions that the lord like allows you to make for your church like i think that's even helpful oh yeah yeah. well and and again i know a lot of people have experience because when church politics is going well when it's healthy when it's biblical then what that means is 90% of the people in the church know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, of course, you're not going to be having all this warm, positive experience with the church politics Mm -hmm. when it's going well, Mm because when church politics is going well, you're probably not experiencing it at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or at least you don't realize it. You don't realize, oh, how are these decisions made? Or how was that decision made? Or, and, you know, how did we decide which toilet paper to buy for the bathrooms? And how did we decide what color to paint things? And how did we decide, you know, all those uh, to a master plan? Like, how did that get decided? Well, if it's all being done in a healthy way, it's not like you're going around like, man, my church really hit it out of the park at this last business meeting. Because if things are going well, you probably weren't at the business meeting. Mm-hmm. And so, but when things go bad, when things, when things go badly, that's when we start noticing church politics. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, if again, when it's going well, we have no experience of it. We think we don't. Mm-hmm. When it's going badly, it can deconstruct our faith. It can help us deconstruct our faith very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um and man, there are a lot of theories. In fact, and let me just say again, one of the things I told a lot of the staff that I hired, you know, when I started hiring staff 10 years ago here, was that a lot of the greatest victories would never be known by anybody because it's like, you don't get up one day and come to a staff meeting and go, hey guys, today was the day that this was all going to fall apart. But because of some decisions that two of y'all made eight years ago, it didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, you can't yeah. measure that. How do you know right. that? Like, mm-hmm. okay, you guys made healthy decisions. You do healthy boundaries with people. You taught this passage correctly. You did. And so here's the deal is, so there's nothing to celebrate today, but there's nothing, that, but things That's didn't celebration collapse. Then That's right. Yeah. That's the fact that yeah. there's not, the things didn't fall apart is right. a miracle right. day to day, right? right? It's a miracle that we have civilization, not that we have things fall apart. Mm-hmm. That's normal. Yeah. So anyway, um, 
I'll give you an over kind of a big overarching is is the in, in different churches there are more there's more or less oversight from other authority structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so the extreme uh, high authority structures are going to be like um, say like the Anglican Church where mm-hmm. where the English government the queen is the head of the Anglican Church mm-hmm. um, or right oh, sorry the king right now the king yeah. is that sorry she just I forgot she just yeah. died um, the um, uh, or or in the Roman Catholic Church where you have literally a central individual figure in the Pope who is the final decision maker mm-hmm. and speaks for God, ex-cathedral, like speaks the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that cascades down. And so you have this very high central authority figure, and then each individual church is absolutely um, under the authority of those leaders. Right. Um, you have somewhere in between there where you have several Protestant churches or others where they have like um, essentially like a legislative body um, or a convention and that convention has oversight, um, has authority over the churches. So like what the Methodist church has recently gone through, or they've had a big split at their convention level as a part of that is the Methodist church has a lot of, a lot more authority than say in the Baptist church, but the, they might say to the, to a certain pastor, okay, we're, we're moving you from one church to another. So you're saying the convention has more power yeah. in, in that. Yeah. And so you, yeah. that that's a, the, the convention, I mean, my uncle was a Methodist minister, um, my whole growing up years, and they moved five or six times because the Methodist, not the convention and the denominational heads, I may be using the wrong word there with convention, but the yeah. denominational heads just said, hey, you're moving. We, we've picked a different church for you. And it's and the, the people of the congregation, neither congregation mm. had really wow. a voice in that, wow. um, nor did my uncle. Mm-hmm. It was, um, he was we're moving you now. And so in six well, months, you're going to be the lead pastor at this church over in this other part of Alabama. And, um, and so there's, that's kind of a mid range. And then there's the least, which are the non-denominational churches and say the Baptist churches, for example, the Baptist church, every single Baptist church is autonomous. Mm-hmm. So we, we have no authority over the, uh, the, the local church beyond like the conventions could say, okay, you're no longer allowed to call yourself one of these and you're no longer allowed to send us any money. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the Baptist convention, that's the direction the money flows is from the churches to the convention because it's really not a convention, it's a cooperation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we work together for something. So each individual church has to structure its own church polity or its own church politics as it believes is best. There are patterns, but there's not a universal. Mm-hmm. So thoughts on that? Questions on that. Like that's one part of church politics that a lot of people are unaware of is that different denominations, different aspects of Christianity have very different authority heads. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's a good framework okay. for us to understand. Okay. This is kind of where different people might be coming from, from a, for you, Jordan, where does that kind of take you in your mind as you're thinking about teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I want to think a little bit even bigger too, that it, all of those on different levels have some sort of structure, have right. some sort of order, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, okay, what what does, and then that's something that we all believe biblically has been set forth, right? That there's there is some sort of structure that we structure need and order, right? And order. So I want to know, kind of still bigger picture, what what does that teach us about ourselves, and what does that teach us about God? Yeah. Well, it is it would, like there. when you look in Romans 13, we see that and multiple other places that God himself was the creator of authority. Mm-hmm. 
the concept of authority proceeds from God. Mm-hmm. There is such a thing as authority. It's a, it's a web that connects the universe. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of, as we've looked at discipleship, a lot of younger people, especially starting in my generation, the Gen Xers, who we were the first generation of Americans not to be drafted into the military, mm-hmm. um, and none has been since. Um, and we're getting further and further from that where, you know, my, my father was not drafted, but could have been, um, his father was like, and so there's an authority structure that military teaches you. Mm -hmm. Um, that's very clear. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be reasonable or rational, rational. It just has to be the authority structure. And so, um, it's, it's, that's actually confusing for a lot of young people today. When I throw out there the, you know, if you're a private and the sergeant gives you an instruction and it's a nonsensical instruction, not illegal, not immoral. It's just nonsensical. What do you do? Like if, so my friend, uh, my best friend growing up was in the Navy SEALs. And at one point he was sent by a commanding officer to run copies. Like, Hey, Hawthorne, go run these copies. And he went in the, and the copy machine wasn't working. And so he's trying to take the copy machine apart to fix it. And one of the other commanding officers over him comes up and says, Hawthorne, I don't think that copy machine likes you very much. He's like, no, sir. It doesn't seem to. And he goes, I, I think you ought to do push-ups until that copy machine likes you. Now, is there anything reasonable about that? Like, is that going to fix the copy machine? Is that going to... No, that's totally irrational, totally unreasonable. So what did my friend do? He did push-ups. He started doing push-ups. And he was going to do push-ups until someone came and told him to stop. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other commanding officer comes looking for his copies. Mm -hmm. And is like, hey, Hawthorne, what are you doing? Like, oh, so-and-so told me to do push-ups till the copy machine likes me. And he's like, oh, okay, well, stop stop doing (laughs) push-ups now and let's fix the copy machine. Mm Well, that makes no sense. And yet the authority structure is very clear, especially mm-hmm. in special forces type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so and so there's an understanding of authority that that biblically is sound, and we can't mm-hmm. unpack it fully here, but that that we are required by ethics, moral and ethics, Christian moral ethics, to respond to the highest authority. Mm-hmm. If the highest authority is, you know, mom and dad, you respond to them. Or if the highest authority somewhere else is the teachers, then you respond to them if the highest authority. But keep in mind, no one can make you defy the higher authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so if if my friend's doing push-ups and a major comes along and says, stop doing push-ups, then he stops. And then if a colonel comes along and says, start doing push-ups, then he starts. The highest authority is the one he obeys. And so we see, for example, when we see Peter and John, I think it's Peter and John, when they're facing the Sanhedrin and they tell them to stop teaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. Under normal circumstances, I think they would have listened to the teaching of the Sanhedrin. They were their authority. But there's a higher authority than the Sanhedrin, and that's Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ told them to preach the gospel. So they right. said, listen, we've got to obey you or obey God. You're making us choose. Y'all can debate about this, but what we're going to do meanwhile is go preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because Christ is the higher authority. And that's always going to be the case. By the way, every church member should respond to the authority of their church leaders Unless that would require them to defy, to disobey God, in which case they should stop. Mm-hmm. You never obey a human to the point, to that point. I think that's key because I feel like, like we've talked about church scandal, and I think that's what's been confused so many mm-hmm. times, that structure that you just talked about. And so people have felt like the church authority is the final authority. And so they have taken them as the same as God's authority. And then that's how scandal and hiding things and excusing behavior and, you know, following a leader into sin has often happened is like confusing that concept that you just described. Yep. I, I agree. And, and 
and it shouldn't happen. If if a if any leader or a parent or a spouse or a government authority were to require us to break God's law, then we have to defy that authority. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we have to be a jerk about it. I mean, we can be gentle and kind mm-hmm. and respectful, like we see Daniel as the fantastic. The story of Daniel is a mm-hmm. fantastic example of somebody who runs into godless leaders, follows their authority when there's not a higher authority. But when there is a command, is willing to stand up to him and is always super respectful. Mm-hmm. Oh, King, may you live forever. But I mean, you're actually going to die today. Mm. Like God has already revealed this to me and I'm not going to listen to and obey you because you're what you're calling upon me to do. I can't do. Mm-hmm. I won't do. Yeah. So that you're right, Bryn. That's huge. And church members and children and spouses and, and policemen and everybody else need to be set free of the need to obey a lower authority when it's in defiance of the highest authority. Mm-hmm. That is a, that's a yeah. absolute ethical standard. That's good. That's good. I think in, in the proper, so, so that's in the, in the negative sense when there's a need to defy that authority, God, obviously over, you know, he's over that. Right. And then, but in the positive sense, when church leadership is structured well, it's uh-huh. not going to be perfect, but when it's structured well, Good point. um, what, you know, what is the benefit of that for for the congregation for the people you know so what yeah why is why is that a good thing how does that help us in our walk i i, I think maybe even talking to you've you've talked at some point um about you we all need some authority we're going to have some right. authority and yep. and a lot of us turn to ourselves as the authority and we're terrible masters of ourselves right right, right. And so I know that's a concept you've talked about. Um, so kind of maybe address that in, in a healthy way. Yeah. What's the benefit for the congregation of a correct structure? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, the immediate analogy that came to my mind, because this will come up again, this analogy is of a crew of a ship. And so, and, and we'll take it a cruise line just, you know, for whatever. But if you're on a cruise, it's, it's really important to you that the crew knows what they're doing and they're doing it well. And they're doing it in a sound and healthy way, consistently, mm-hmm. hardworking, well, all the different things required to that. But again, if they are, that just means you don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if they start messing things up, you'll probably find out real fast. Yeah, um, they hit an iceberg. You're gonna you're gonna know about that. But the um, but there's a sense in which what healthy leadership allows is room to grow. Is it allows mm-hmm. you the safety to grow? It allows you the the space to learn to lead yourself. Well, and, and, sorry. It, yeah, and even good. this just reminds me like what I get when you say that is, is even within, within a family, yes. like with a mom and a dad, yep. if there's turmoil and there's a divorce happening, me as a, as the kid, I'm not, I'm not able to focus on anything else right. besides that. I, I'm shook. I'm rocked. I, my <clears> mind <throat> is, is all on that. There's developmental issues, all these sorts of things. That's an excellent example too. But when that relationship is consistent and healthy, I don't think about it, right? right. Like with and, my and, parents. Right. And so I'm able to grow and learn right. and, and free to do that, right? Yeah. And encouraged to. Exactly. Yep. So it, kind of it, a similar concept. Yep. That's, a, that's an excellent way of thinking about it, is that there are consequences for those under the leadership of the authorities, good and bad. Mm-hmm. So when the authorities doing what they should do and do it well, then there's the consequences, freedom, growth, peace, safety, attachment, to use the psych- one of the main psychological terms that we're learning about authority structures. Um, and when it's not, when there's confusion, when there's no guardrails, when there's no rules, um, you know, you've, you guys, you guys, none of you guys may be old enough to remember new math, um, but 
New Math I've, was I've a, heard, I've the heard concept. of this thing. Yes, <laughs> um, and New Math was this concept that came out. If I remember correctly, it was like in the eighties is when I remember it coming out. And and they they started doing and so new math was about doing math the way you want to do math, mm. and so the kids were graded on their process, not their final answer. And the teachers weren't supposed to teach them like here's four plus seven. Listen, we're not going to teach you how to do that. You figure it out, and we'll grade you on your group process of solving the math problem rather than if you actually get to what would I say? Four plus seven, 11, mm-hmm. right? And so and that is doesn't that matter. the generation that has made all our spending, spending <laughs> yeah, decisions exactly. here That's in right. government? Is <laughs> it four plus seven? It's 31 trillion. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but, uh, but what happened was they had to kill it because the level of anxiety and fear it created mm-hmm. among children was uh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. children would cheat in that they would try to look up how to solve the problem. Um, because it created so much anxiety and fear because there were no guidelines. Mm-hmm. Y- you will appreciate also the the parenting example when I'm teaching on parenting. There was a time when um, I lived in Dallas-Fort Worth and there was a big mix master at I-35. And it's like 150 feet up in the air. Mm-hmm. And and I remember when they were building it and this, I, I wish I'd gotten a picture of it, but it was, they didn't, they'd built the entire thing, but they didn't have the guardrails yet. The, <laughs> the three foot tall concrete uh-huh. guardrails. And there was a work truck driving across it. And, in the middle of the road going about one mile an hour. Yeah. This guy was just creeping along, like just as yeah. slow. Like I, I just made my feet hurt the mm-hmm. thought of driving on that thing. Yeah. They put three foot guardrails up and all of a sudden people are going to be going 40 yeah. miles an hour on it, right? Right. Well, and, and this is an example that uh, obviously you're a counselor, so you've probably heard of this, but I've heard of this example a lot of times with a case study with a bunch of kids in a playground mm-hmm. with no fences around the playground yes. at all. They all are going to group together yes. in the middle, right? But yep. as soon as you put fences, the kids go that's exactly all around right. the entire area and all around it. Yeah. So this is, that's what authority is meant to accomplish. Mm-hmm. It creates safe boundaries. It creates protection. It creates good decision-making. Um, there's a trust and a faithfulness that people can rely on. Now, it's a great question is how much should we, when things seem to be going well, does that mean that as as the people being led... Does that give us permission just to ignore it? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. because that's dangerous. And mm-hmm. and it's one of those things we talk about, we joke about here is that we have budget meetings two or three times a year. And typically we have less than two people show up for the budget meetings. Mm-hmm. And and I've been at churches where things were tough. And believe me, a lot of people show up at those budget meetings mm-hmm. um, and it can be really contentious. I think here the the lack of attention to the budget meetings is a, is meant to be an indication of trust. Like we, that we trust that the leadership has done well. We budget very, and, and by the way, I think, I think we are very trustworthy. However, there's also a part of me that worries that I'm like, is this, this trust I think is very, very healthy, but is there come a point when trust becomes neglect mm-hmm. or irresponsibility? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I want people to come in and know the Interesting, budget. Interesting, though, that that's a, that's a fine line that you're walking mm-hmm. as a leader. I don't even know where it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to encourage people, we want you to be involved, and we want hard questions. We work hard at this so that yeah, so that we can answer your hard mm-hmm. questions. Right. And so, because yeah. we, this is okay to come in and ask hard questions of your leadership, and if your leadership can't handle the hard questions, mm-hmm. that's usually a sign of unhealth, mm-hmm. or, or they're defensive about it, yeah. or whatever. Now, if you're being a jerk... Yeah, they're being defensive because you're a jerk, not because of your hard questions, right. but yeah. Were you Brent? saying, Brent? Well, even like you've talked about in the past, like just because you trust your leaders doesn't mean you should stop asking them hard questions mm-hmm. because we're all, um, 
you know, human beings and sinful. And so it's, it's another sign of a healthy church, like you're saying for the involvement to, even when you're trusting your leadership and even happy with the way things are going, like still push in and ask those, those hard questions and, um, and have that accountability because like you're saying, if leaders push back on that, then that's a bad sign. Yeah. And again, I want to, I want to communicate tone just since we're talking about this, I, I have gotten the same concerned email in the same week, one of which is, hey, man, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's this thing and I'd love to help. How can I be involved and and how can we fix this? And is does this need to be fixed? There's something I'm missing. Mm-hmm. And then the, the very same concern come in. Are we just going to let someone die? Is that our plan? Like, mm-hmm. you know, how, why have y'all why have y'all screwing us up so bad type of and you're like, oh, wow, those those if I'm defensive. I'm not. I'm not being defensive at your question. Mm-hmm. I mean, defensive at how horrible a tone you took mm-hmm. to start this mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. When you do talk to leadership, I would encourage you do like Daniel, be respectful, mm-hmm. um, be appropriate, mm-hmm. assume positive motives, but yeah. ask the hard questions. Mm-hmm. And that was that will teach you a lot about your leadership because if they can't mm-hmm. do that, then you know there's a problem. Right. But you need to check your own attitude when you come in because if you come in with your fists up and your voice raised, don't be surprised if they get defensive. Right. Um, that's a, those are two different issues. So yeah. just a side so does that, does that answer those yeah. kind of that first the set of questions? One. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What are yeah. the, what are the other questions then that come from yeah. this? Concept? Well, when, yeah. When you begin to break it down uh, again, there, it, scripture outlines two sets of leaders, yep. right? Yep. So, so kind of just, uh, and, and we could get two way, different offices. Yeah. Two different offices. We could yep. get way into, into those. I don't want to too much, but, but talk about the differences between the overseers, the episcopos and, yeah, yeah. and the, the deaconess. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. What, what's the difference there? And then I have a question about like qualifications. In there you general go. Great. After that. Um, that's a great question. So I think, so we, the, the episcopos, sometimes called bishops, sometimes called elders. Um, in the Baptist church, sometimes that gets confused. Um, I think there have been some mistakes made in the Baptist church in the past with some of this stuff. Um, but when you look at the list, the lists aren't very different. Right. Um, but the name gives us some insight. And then the fact that the Episcopos are required to be able to teach scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, that they're able to handle God's word well, that that's a, that's an additional responsibility that is mm-hmm. not listed. I don't know that that means Paul doesn't think yeah. it counts for the yeah. deacons. It's okay. just, okay, this is a, this is a, a deal breaker mm-hmm. for the, for those who are in this position of leadership. Mm-hmm. I think the language indicates that the first group are your decision makers. Mm-hmm. They are the quote, political leaders in the, church. They are the ones who are making the decisions, guiding the processes. So those are your part of your um, owners. So this is the analogy I use here. Okay. They're owners. So you, the whole church is an owner. Mm-hmm. Every, right. All the members are owners. They then select a consortium to represent them as owners to make sure. So the example I used, and I, I think I think I came up with it when I was like in the midst of reading a book along this line. And okay. so that's why it's in my head, was in my head at the time. But you imagine like it's in the 17th, 18th century sailing vessels and you've got a fleet and what you have are hundreds of owners. Right. Everybody owns small parts of this fleet. Well, not hundreds of owners can make decisions, Mm -hmm. right? Hundreds of owners, it's like a stock in today's world. Hundreds of owners can't make every single decision. You never get anything done. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they choose a consortium of what we now in this world call a board. Mm -hmm. 
And so you have a board of leaders who are going to, so that board is who makes the decisions. Now, with but the relationship, go ahead. Well, they're rep, but they represent all those owners. Not at the individual level. Yes. As in like, oh, they represent the same age or they represent the same ethnic okay, group yes, or they interested. But they represent the interests of the whole. Good clarification. And so, and so, for example, if they say, hey, you know, the, the whole group says what we've invested in is in these ships because we want to sell um, sugar cane, you know, in, in North America. And so it's going to go to Haiti and pick up sugar cane and it's going to, and they need to figure out what people need in Haiti. And mm-hmm. then they're going to pick up sugar cane and take it back to North America and then sell it and then pick up stuff to take back. Right. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. We're right. going to all make money off of this. Well, what happens? So that's the plan. Yeah. But what happens is you have to select people who understand the vision, the purpose, the plan, all of that, and who will oversee our vision happening. So, for example, at our church, we the, the vision for the church is Jesus' com- great commission, mm-hmm. right? Go uh, make disciples, teach, baptize. Um, and so that's the great commission that we're all supposed to be on. The, 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 all the members are watching to make sure that that's what's happening. But they can't all make every little decision. So there's a consortium of a board, of episcopos, who represent the churches, the interests of this individual church to make sure that's happening. Mm-hmm. Is this happening? And they they know, so they have to be capable of knowing God's word because they have to know if it's being taught correctly. Mm-hmm. They're either teaching it themselves or they're evaluating the right. teaching of it. Okay. Um, they know the process, they know the, the concepts of what the values, the main values need to be in the church, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Good. Okay, now... What we've done over the last few hundred years is that those elders, um, either as representatives of the church or the church as a whole, depending on what denominations, they then hire a crew. The crew for most churches is the staff. Mm-hmm. And so the analogy when I talk about, you know, what's the relationship between our leadership board, which is actually the name of our group that represent that, that serve as elders in our church. Um, they hire a captain and then the captain is given the authority to select his crew. Hmm. And so I'm I'm the captain. I am I am a member of that board. Mm-hmm. I'm not a voting member of that board and that's actually on that's part of our setup. Yeah. Is that I'm a member of that board. I represent the crew and I mean we all work together cuz mm-hmm. my my well-being is connected to the well-being of the ship as well. Mm-hmm. Now, please excuse that this entire example is an analogy. I'm not leaving the Holy Spirit and God's right. You know, the fact this is Jesus's church is yeah. whose church it is. It's not the church owned by the people. Right. The church is owned by Christ. We are just shepherds, right? right? So he is the one who dictated its purpose, its meaning, its plan, mm-hmm. all of that. He does that. Yeah. That's what makes churches different from a business. Yeah. Uh, I say that. It shouldn't make their churches right. different from a right. business, but okay. Anyway, you follow me. Yeah. Um, uh, and so he dictates, this is why you exist, and I'm going to give you guys... I want you guys to select people to represent those interests of the whole. And so that's your Episcopos. Yep. Now, um, the reason, it's kind of funny, in our church, we don't call them elders for a couple of reasons that I'll get to. Um, one is tradition, and then one is to avoid division. Um, but the, uh, so you have the, I, I believe that what Paul intends, what he's telling Timothy and Titus, select these Episcopos mm-hmm. at every church is he's creating the office of decision makers. Someone have got to be the leaders, the decision-making team mm-hmm. that's got to decide how do we spend money? Where do we move buildings? How do we, all that kind of stuff. We've got to start there. Yeah. 
Now, of course, they can't accomplish anything without the people. Yeah. Um, then you have the deacons and who the deacons are. So think in terms of, although this is really jacked up in our central government right now, that's was the, that the term is minister. Mm. So um, our secretary, which just means minister. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the, Think of the different ministries in the government. Those are supposed to be serving those areas. So the the Department of the Navy, so that they're, they've got people whose title are ministers. That doesn't mean pastors. It means servants. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, if anything, they're the servants of the servants. But so you have the, the deacons are those who are supposed to be like the hands and feet. And you could say that the Episcopals are supposed to be like the eyes and the ears and the mouth, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the church, the whole body. And so the deacon job, deacon just means servant. And so deacon's job is to serve in a way that it motivates everyone to serve, mm-hmm. but in particular to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the division, which makes sense. Yeah. You've got yeah. your decision makers, you've got your servants. Now, some churches, by the way, don't allow, if you're one, you can't be the other. Mm, interesting. So if you're a deacon, you can't be an elder. If you're an elder, you can't be a deacon. Mm-hmm. Um, some churches allow both. We, we, for example, you can serve again, we don't call them elders, but that you can serve in the role of leadership board and be a deacon. In fact, mm-hmm. here's how we do it. Okay. Okay. So a lot of churches, churches do this in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you have staff led churches, you have deacon led churches, you have elder led churches, you have committee led churches. I mean, you, you name it. There's, um, if there's, if there's a way to do it, it's being done that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we do it here is we think there needs to be a decision-making body. And that's that's that at our church at South Spring, that's called the leadership board. Um, and just for fun, the leadership board is made up of seven members, excuse me, eight members. Seven of them are voting members. I'm the eighth member. So as the lead pastor, I am the eighth member of the leadership board, and I am the chairman of the leadership board. So I set the meetings and I set the agenda, and I run the meeting, but I have no vote. And that's because I want the decisions to actually be being made by this mm-hmm. consortium of representatives. Um, and and on, to be perfectly honest, if I, if I can't lead without a vote, then there's something wrong with my ability to lead, mm-hmm. in my opinion, as well. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that also provides covering for them, and part of their desire for that was to provide covering for me, yeah, so that when good. we make a decision, they're the ones going like, "We own this. Yeah, we don't need the pastor to, you know, roll under right. the bus here. Right. We own this. We made this decision, um, which is really cool because it's it a is. very strong over shepherd, which is the picture in uh, in First Peter five. Mm-hmm. That some of you desire to be elders, and that's a good thing. But he refers to them then as being over or mm-hmm. kind of over shepherds of the people, but under shepherds under Christ. Yeah, right. That's good. Um, and so that's the responsibility. Um, and so, so there's seven, there's, there's eight. One is me. One is the chairman of the deacons. Um, mm-hmm. So the deacons select their own chairperson every year. And that person serves a one year term on our leadership board. Mm-hmm. Then there are six others, all of whom are members of the church. In fact, they have to have been member at least two years. The standards that we vet them with are the, the Episcopal standards Mm -hmm. with one possible exception, depending on how you fight about it, which we'll get to in a second. Um, And then they serve a two year service, two year, almost a sentence. That's probably how it feels (laughs) to them sometimes. But a term, (laughs) a a two year term. Uh Um, And, uh, and then they rotate. Right. Yeah. So the three are always 
on their second year and three are on their uh-huh. first year. Okay. Yeah. Now, technically, that doesn't happen because they can serve two two terms in a row, so okay. they could yeah. be on for four years, mm-hmm. um, and often that does happen, which yeah. is great. That type of longevity is great. But we don't do what a lot of churches do, and that is keep them forever. Mm-hmm. A lot of churches say that the elder role is forever. So that's one of the reasons we don't call them elders is yeah. because they don't serve in, until they die. Right. Um, and so that that's why probably, that's one of the um, divisive meanings the, of that could be a divisive thing in a church. If we said we're ch- we're going to start calling them elder, mm-hmm. then you would have several people in the church who would go, "Well, then they need to serve forever." Yeah. Okay. And so because our church has decided we want more rotation, and let me I'll just tell you, there's a couple of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the main one is we want more people to have the opportunity to serve in that role. Um. It's not that we're necessarily afraid of getting a bad one who we can't get rid of, although that certainly is a problem a lot of churches face, and we could easily face, is mm-hmm. that you get someone in there who is in there for their own agendas, is in there for their own, uh, to represent some certain cause rather than mm-hmm. the church as a whole, and then they, you can't make them go away. Yeah. Um, and so that is, a, that is a concern that any church is going to deal with, but that's not our primary motivation. Our mm-hmm. primary motivation is we want there to be dozens of people in the church who have been in those chairs Mm. um, because they have an understanding of leadership that Mm -hmm. others don't, and they have insight that others don't. And I I really love that. So that's one. And it could be divisive if we changed them to elder, to Mm -hmm. the name to elder, but they serve like elders. Yeah. Um, And I know that that's splitting a hair a little bit, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it's called for. Yeah. Um, And then we also have women who are in that role. And, and that is a divisive thing mm-hmm. in the church is whether that should be the case. And I think we unpacked this in detail under some of the podcasts about women serving in uh-huh. ministry. Um, but to shortcut it, go, so one, go back and listen to that if that's interesting to you. Mm-hmm. But to shortcut it, both elder and deacon have the phrase husband. Of, they're, they're both told in the masculine mm-hmm. and they both have the phrase husband of one wife. Mm-hmm. The reason that is open to conversation is because then later Paul references in Romans 16 he references a woman who is a deacon he is honoring. Mm-hmm. And she's the deacon of a specific church. So it sure sounds like husband of one wife was not meant to disqualify women, at least in regards to deacons. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have any examples of a woman who is an elder who's listed as an elder. There's one listed as being, quote, among the apostles, mm-hmm. which freaks a lot of people out, but yeah. um, which is hard enough, but we don't have one listed. Now, there's a lot of gray area in this. Mm-hmm. So because Paul honors a, a woman who is a deacon, calls her a deacon and the deacon of a certain church, he honors her, it sure seems like the phrase husband of one wife, at least in regards to deacons, does not mean men only. Mm-hmm. Well, if husband of one wife doesn't mean men only for deacons, then it's at least a potential that husband of one wife doesn't mean men only for elders. Right. But it's an area of contentious division yeah. in the church to discuss that, which is totally appropriate for us to fight about it. Mm-hmm. And because it's not abundantly clear in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So one, in an effort to avoid unnecessary division, what we do is we have selected these people to serve in an elder role, though they are not referred to as elders. Mm-hmm. They're referred to as leadership board, but we use the elder office um, as, the, as a representative, mm-hmm. as, as the descriptor Politics. of who they are. Yeah. Now, to make it even weirder, here's what's weird in the Baptist church, and I didn't know this. I've been in like four denominations uh-huh. in my lifetime. But in the Baptist church, I am the elder. 
So in a Baptist church, the tradition is that the teaching pastor or teaching pastors are the only actual elders in a church. So they take the passage um, that says that the elders have to be, the Episcopals have to be able to teach the word of God. And they say, therefore, if part of your job description is to okay. teach the word of God, then you're an elder. So like in at South Spring, the traditional perspective, Paul McKenzie and I would be the only two elders mm-hmm. in this church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you go by that, which, fine. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not how the decision, but that's, <laughs> I would disagree with that Paul and I should be the decision makers in the church. Mm-hmm. That should be members of the church yeah. um, from within the body, not just a couple of staff members. Yeah. Um, and so I get the confusion. And part of this is we are trying to apply what Paul taught 2000 years ago to a brand new faith, mm-hmm. creating brand new churches. And we are faithfully all trying to figure out. And I, by the way, mean that I think most mm-hmm. people are faithfully trying to apply his teachings in their local church. Yeah. Um, so what we have are that eight person team and that's the decision-making team mm-hmm. at South spring. Um, I am not aware of another church that's set up exactly like us. Mm. Um, when I do leaders, uh, lead pastors meetings periodically, every one of them is different. Yeah. Interesting. It, it's amazing the different church polity that's created mm-hmm. in different churches and some work well and some are probably a train wreck, but yeah. um, here this has worked really well. And we think though we are not, this is not the only way to understand or interpret or apply these passages um, and may not even be the most obvious ways to do so. We think it is a faithful way of doing so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and then deacons, we have deacons at the church, and their job is to serve. Mm-hmm. They have no, quote, political leadership at all. They have yeah. no decision-making outside of their own group. And what I love, too, so I'm a deacon, uh-huh. and, and I love that, and, and as I was reading First Timothy 3, it, I feel like it goes along with what the way South Spring does it, is that it is highlighting people who are already serving and right. kind of showing, hey, these are some people that, that we could follow, you could walk in the way that they're doing things, right? Yeah. And so uh, I love that because what that does is it really in, it encourages us uh, to say, hey, we see what you're doing, like keep doing it, you right. know? And so I feel encouraged by that yep. uh, and, and want to keep serving because I've, I've they've said, hey, keep yeah. going, you know? That was a funny thing. One of the funny things about this, so applying the elder conversation, the Episcopals is very complicated. Uh-huh. What makes the deacon one complicated is you go, is you think, yeah, aren't isn't aren't all Christians right. supposed to be <laughs> right, deacons? Right. Like, how is that a title? Yeah, yeah. And what what we've decided is we peak, take people who are deacons, yeah. meaning they serve ministers. Yeah. They save. They serve faithfully and in different ways. And what we do is say we now want to make it official so that we can point you out. Mm-hmm. So then people say, what does it mean to serve at our church? I can go, well, look at Jordan. He's a deacon. I want you to serve like he serves, mm-hmm. and so that you become a leader in service. Mm-hmm. And that's what it really, what a deacon in a church is. Everybody's supposed to be serving, but the leader in the leaders in service, not the leaders of the church, but the leaders that are showing the church how to serve. Mm-hmm. Those are your deacons. Mm-hmm. That's, good. that's the plan at yeah. least. Yeah. <laughs> and again, good. as Bryn said, and as we've said so many times, we have to deconstruct our faith in humans because of mm-hmm. course this gets messed up. And anytime you involve humans, it's going to get messed up. So I think this, this question applies to what you just said then. So there's a, a a pretty good list for both of these of qualifications, yep. right? Um, so so talk about is this in general when I think about so and so, this is these are the qualifications they have. Yep. What I, and and so specifically, what I'm trying to think of is if 
someone stumbles in right. in one of these areas at one point, but then is maybe, I don't know, repentant or, right. or, you know, talk about what, you know, how do you look at someone and say, these are your qualifications that great. of this huge list? Um, so one, we're still at the place where we feel the luxury of, of engaging with each of those conversations as a standalone mm-hmm. versus saying, well, this person had a divorce in their life, so mm-hmm. they're out. Uh-huh. Or this person um, is an alcoholic in recovery. Oh, but they, they had a bad weekend. Now they're out. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so instead of going, okay, we're going to set a set, create a new Torah yeah. with a whole bunch of rules and then go, okay, you're, yeah, now you're cut. Now you're cut. Right. Um, what we do is we, as a leader, this is one of the jobs of our leadership board mm-hmm. is to engage with each of these. And very often it means, so this is, this is what it revealed that's so powerful is you want to have those conversations with friends who love mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not being friends with and loving those people, if no one is being friends with and loving those people who are really struggling, mm-hmm. but who also have the capacity to lead, then what that means is there's no one there who can have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I've gotten to have the conversation, you know, recently like, hey, I, I, we we all love you and we think you'd make a great leader, but you had this big mess up in your life a couple of years ago, and we're going to ask you to give it more time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's Let's wait another year or two yeah. before we talk about you going into leadership. Let's, let's, let's make sure your things are still good. Mm-hmm. That's not a fun conversation to yeah, have, yeah. but you, so you want it to be with someone who knows you love them. Right. And so that's part of what we do is at the leadership board level, if there's someone who we see nominated for something and we're like, um, yeah, he probably, or she probably shouldn't have let themselves be nominated. Mm-hmm. Then we go to that person and I've had to have some uncomfortable conversations, certainly saying, Listen, it makes clear that, you know, this is not someone who's, who is, for example, uh, drunkenness is not a, an issue for them, that they're experiencing victory in regards to the addictive things in their lives is a, probably a, a big application of that, but certainly regards to alcohol. And I've mm-hmm. had to say, I've, I've, I've seen you around, I've spent enough time with you, and I, I think probably you're dancing on this edge. Mm-hmm. And so I love you. I want you part of our church. I want you involved in these things. But I don't. I don't think you being on the leadership board is a good idea right now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's tough. Or, you know what? You're kind of a divisive person, mm-hmm. and I, I think you like to quarrel, and that's your thing. I mean, you like picking fights online, mm-hmm. and and you like causing. You know, you're kind of a on uh, you know internet troll, and mm-hmm. and that's and listen, if that's your thing, fine. <laughs> like that's not that's not. I'm not telling you you can't yeah. do that. I'm just saying. Not quarrelsome is one of the requirements for this, and so I think you need to decide: Do you want to have that reputation? And if you do, great. Then don't let anybody nominate you for leadership board or to be a deacon. Mm-hmm. If you don't, or you've got a huge crisis going on in your home, your kids are out of control. Like, here's what I'm going to recommend you do: instead of joining leadership board or being a deacon, um, what I'm going to recommend that you do is. Once you take that time and either get training or counseling or something to learn how to manage your home better, or mm-hmm. just spend that time with your kids. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I I think there's a lot of pragmatic. There's a lot of spiritual holiness issues in regards to it. There's a lot of pragmatic issues. But here's what it isn't, Jordan: is man, you've got to have it all together. You can't serve. Mm-hmm. You you can't be struggling with any of these areas, or you can't serve because then none of us would get to yeah. serve. All of us are, if you read through that list and you go, man, I'm nailing this, you are certainly not welcome yeah. on uh, on any role of leadership or service at the church. You, you've, if you think you're nailing them, then that's a huge, that's, that's, that seems like a much bigger warning. <laughs> yeah, that's a bigger issue. <laughs> yeah, if you go like, God, I feel like I generally have victory in these areas. And, you know, here's the one or two that I struggle with the most. And 
you know, I eat too much or, or I, you know what, sometimes I fall in the temptation of pornography or whatever, but here's what I'm doing to fight that and struggle against that. And, and, and then you go, okay, well then that sounds like you're trying to live the disciples life. It's good. Um, but again, the failure, if you look at your leadership and you say, oh man, he must have it all together or they wouldn't let him be the lead pastor. Um, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. You're just setting yourself up for your faith to be built on something other than Christ. Mm, that's good. That and so that's interesting. That with what I was really interested in, so that makes sense within the church to to have people you can see that are setting good examples, but also are real and struggling, and and you can follow in those you know those examples. There's a there's a mention about the overseers too, is that they are thought of well by outsiders. Yeah, isn't that so interesting? that's really interesting. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Like, why is that important? So I think there's a couple of things the way that plays out is the reason you want, especially those who are leading in the church to have a good reputation, um, is that, yes, there will be some people who don't like you. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's always going to be the case, right? Mm-hmm. But if your general reputation in the community is that you're an unkind person, or not a generous person, mm. or just kind of a big jerk, then, yeah, that's that's a hard... People are going to link that your character flaws to the gospel. And they're going to say, well, I can't go to that church because of this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and all churches face that. And we, we struggle with how do we let people serve who are broken and jacked up and everything else, but how how do we also tell them, listen... It's, we can't let you be one of our forward-facing leaders in the church mm-hmm. because your reputation is that you're dishonest. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you run a kind of business, and the way you operate in your business, you're thought of as a dishonest person. Mm-hmm. And so what are we saying if we put you in a position of leadership? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's really tough. Um, and it's, those are tough conversations to have. And a lot of times you can expect, so you're going to get the response you get anytime you confront somebody on something. They're either going to say, Oh my gosh, I, you're right. You know, I need to change that or or I don't know how to change or whatever or they're going to say you know what, if you don't want my me to play, I'll take my ball and go home. Mm-hmm, right. And which is just cr- probably creates a healthier church when that does happen. Yeah. As good. as hard as it yeah. is, it's also probably yeah. um and it may be make another church a little bit less healthy. I have one one last yeah, question. Yeah. I think that'll be a good wrap up kind of question. Um so those not in these positions or able to be in these positions or, you know, youth or teens or anything like yeah, that, yeah. how does this apply to them? Like, what do they learn from this passage? Is it just, okay, that's my authority. I need to learn to trust that. Ooh, or is, is there anything on just leadership principles in general yeah. that we should take from that? You know. How, oh, gosh. Here's a couple. So one that comes to mind is I would definitely want to jump over to the First Peter 5 reference to the fact that those who seek to be an overseer that that is a healthy ambition. Mm. And so it would be healthy for teenagers to say, someday I want to be in a role Mm. of leadership in my church. Like, Okay, well, what are decisions you can be making now Mm. that help make that happen? Mm -hmm. Um, That's one. Two, to recognize, and these are some pretty big standards. Mm -hmm. We ought to be praying for the people who are in leadership. We ought to be Mm -hmm. encouraging them, supporting them, um, even when we have to ask hard questions. Um. Those two definitely come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do think there is a, a third one that says you want to follow the leadership of authority 
in the same way you would want to be followed if you were the person in authority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember what Hebrews passage it is. We may have to find it real quick, but there's a Hebrews passage. I feel like it's very near the end, maybe chapter 13, that references that it should be a joy to lead God's people. Mm. Um, I bet we could we can probably find that real quick. Um, but And so are you asking the students, are you a joy to your Sunday school teachers? Mm-hmm. Um, did you find it? Remember your leaders, uh-huh. um, consider the outcome of their way of life, okay. imitate their faith. That's good. Um, I would, we'd have to look for that. But it talks about how it should be. I should know this. Okay, obey your leaders, submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would have, for that would be of no advantage to you. There you go. Hebrews 13, 17. Perfect. So that's the one I was thinking. That whole passage really is a fascinating little, hey, you're not in leadership right now. Mm-hmm. So here's what it looks like to lead when you're not in leadership. Mm. Um, and so that's a great encouragement. Is it a joy to be your Sunday school teacher? Is mm-hmm. it a joy to be a deacon in the church where you are? Is it a joy to be the, your student minister? Is it? And I think that's a great question for kids to ask. Mm-hmm. And even for Christian kids to be asked... Is it a joy to be your teacher at school or do yeah. you make their life, you know, yeah. a living hell? And so um, as Christian kids should be a joy to be led at school too. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean they don't stand up for what's right. Of course they do. It doesn't mean they don't, you know, that there's certain times that you have to, you might have to defy leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then it should be done respectfully. Yep. So there's some good, that's a yeah, lot to cover. That's good. Anyway, that gives you a good insight kind of into mm-hmm. how we do it in some of these big pictures. And it also shows how easy it would be for someone to experience anything other than right. a healthy version of that. Yeah. And the temptation is to say, well, if that's the church, if that's God, well, then I don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many people I've heard who have who have come to our church and then said, like, I'm so afraid of everything's going to fall apart. Yeah. We're going to have a split. We're going to all these bad things they've experienced in church leadership. And I get it. And there's a lot of trauma involved in that. I've been there. I've, I've experienced it from the inside too. Yeah. Um, and once again, we just have to delineate between what is, what is God mm-hmm. and what are, what are God's people who are jacked up and what are even people who aren't God's people, but who are part of his church. Right. And there's plenty of lost people in the church too, that are going to sometimes make life really tough. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.